Okay, the timestamp is January 21st, 2022. It's uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time, and it's uh, lesson 3.6 with Ryan and Ruth. Three, two, one. Hello, beautiful humans, foot nerds, welcome back. Today is lesson 3.6. I'm here with Ryan Hilton. He is a fellow foot nerd. He is a, also an accountant and many other things, and he is also my friend. And today um, we are going to unpack the lesson of digital minimalism, solitude, and deep work, and how that affects our overall health. So if you have questions about the lesson, or you want to contribute a layer to conversation, or you have resources, you can message us on Slack. Otherwise, we're going to dig in. Or, in it, or additionally, we're going to dig in. Um, so before we get started today, I'm going to give just some quick definitions of what we're going to be talking about, because these are like kind of hefty topics. So digital minimalism, solitude, and deep work. We'll eventually tie that into what that has to do with being a foot nerd. Um, but to start with, digital minimalism is a phrase and a philosophy coined by Cal Newport, who is a computer uh, science professor. He's a researcher and an author of a few books. One of them is called Deep Work. Um, it's the philosophy that's based on the idea that we have a relationship with our digital tools, and that relationship is probably one that requires more attention than we actually give it. And um, the nuance around how we use these digital tools. So that's like the overview of what digital minimalism is. Um, solitude is the quality of being alone, but not in, but alone by choice. So it's usually solitude implies that there is a, a, a satisfaction around being alone. It's not about being isolated or lonely in the sad kind of depressed way. Um, <laughs> which I'm familiar with. And, um, um, and then deep work is the uh, idea that we can be, we can give our attention to a cognitively demanding task for a length of time without being distracted. So those are some definitions to get us started. And then Ryan, what I'm hoping to do is turn it over to you to introduce the topic in a little more depth. And then I'll ask you questions as we go along. Okay, sounds good. Um, well, first off, thanks for the great introduction, Ruth. Um, I think that's a, a good start and uh, gives some really good context for all of those top topics that you mentioned. Um, I'm probably going to spend more time on on deep work specifically, at least to start, and we'll talk through that process a little bit. Uh, but then as we get into the questions and, and things, we'll, we'll touch on some of the other ones in different ways. So uh, just maybe to give a bit more context on who I am. Um, so I'm, as Ruth mentioned, I'm a professional accountant in Canada, been practicing for about years. Um, so for most of my life, uh, I was more or less a deadline driven person. And um, so my work dictated what I was doing. Uh, and I tended to fly between meetings and this and that uh, thing, various projects all happening at the same time. Um, now, when the pandemic pandemic hit uh, just two years ago, we I found that you know, I was stuck at home all of a sudden. And as we all were, and although the deadlines and tasks were were still there, 
they kind of decreased a little bit and I was all of a sudden flushed with distractions and I was all by myself. And uh, what I found pretty quick was that uh, I was actually quite easily distracted by things and uh, it became very difficult to uh, focus and get work done sort of between breakfast and lunch and then between lunch and coffee and between coffee and the end of the day. So uh, essentially what I found is that I needed some new strategies. And around that time, uh, I discovered a few influences. Uh, Cal Newport's books were, were one of them. Uh, also Stephen Pressfield, he's an author uh, who talks a lot about uh, the creative process and Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist and kind of joining together a lot of what uh, they talk about. I started to refine my own method for achieving deep work or flow state or uh, deep learning or kind of, you know, there's a lot of terms that are used in that space that mean similar things, but at the end of the day, it worked out to be sort of a, a process that, applies generically to a lot of that stuff and uh, I found it to be quite useful for me so um, and I think it's pretty broadly applicable so so that's primarily what I'm going to talk about uh, from here on out but that's that's my story um, okay so uh, any anything to add there Ruth or any questions well I can just I could just second the fact about like in the last two years I've really had to come to terms you know since since March 2020 when the pandemic started about what it feels like like really get body signals and what it feels like to be distracted a lot or bored or like I've just there's been a lot of time to reflect on on how actually addicted or in how hard it is to get into deep work and what that actually means so I can can yeah and and I think that uh you know time is is precious and time is money and uh i think that with the market forces that exist in the world uh whether it's consciously or subconsciously uh they will like there are things that will do their best to distract you mm-hmm. and uh and I, I think it's up to us to maintain awareness of that and uh use it and defend uh our time uh so that when we do have things that we want to do we're actually getting them done as opposed to uh, just consuming or or uh, keeping staying distracted yeah you know um, okay, did you, okay. I just yeah. wanted to add that Cal Newport um, I recently was listening to something where I heard him define um, define the distraction digital distractions as modern attention engineered digitally mediated entertainment and I was like whoa that pretty much covers it <laughs> <laughs> That's that a computer science uh, would define it as a. Eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, okay, so uh, I think uh, maybe we can jump into into the process a little bit. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on context um, because I think the process is on some level fairly simple in in my mind. Um, but you know. Deep work, it, it, we'll, I'll use that term probably most often. And, and it's, it's a strategy uh, really for best utilizing your productive time. So it can be used for absorbing information. Uh, if you're talking about maybe learning, uh, it can be used for producing something. It can be used for creating uh, an object or, or engaging with a process. Um, I think uh, 
we'll probably talk more in the context of producing or creating, uh, or at least I will for the next little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so that could mean generating outputs. It could mean providing services, uh, creating art. Uh, it could mean going through and organizing something like your inbox or responding to an important email. Um, so they can be very rote uh, tasks or, or it can be much more meaningful. It could be something like you want to go write a book, uh, which obviously is something that would take a lot of time. So um, I find that uh, being productive in, in doing any of those things can be easy for some people and more difficult for others. It can also vary based on, based on the task. And, you know, I find that uh, sort of hands-on, more mechanically engaged projects can sometimes be easier to uh, achieve deep work and, and get down to business on. Uh, whereas uh, maybe sitting down on your laptop or uh, having to write something on, on a piece of paper uh, or a sustained thing on a piece of paper, that can be a little bit more, more difficult. Although that's going to vary by individual. Um, so anyhow, all that is to say, let's say that you've identified uh, your deep work task or your thing that you're trying to, to achieve. Um, once you've done that, uh, you're going to want to get some work done on it. And uh, I look at uh, the process of deep work as kind of three steps. Uh, first, you're going to check in. Then you're going to maintain uh, the deep work state for a certain period of time. And then you'll check out. And hopefully during that time, uh, you'll get some work done um, or get something created. So I'm going to talk about each of those in a little bit more detail. Um, and we'll start with the check-in. So uh, I'm going to refer to a concept that uh, I learned from Stephen Pressfield. And uh, he, he wrote a book called The War of Art, which I, I haven't actually read, but uh, I watched uh, some of his podcasts where he talks about this concept. He uses the term the resistance force. Um, now, that's a metaphor, but uh, the resistance force is essentially a human universal. And it's, it's sort of outside of us, I, I think, is a good way to think about it. So when we identify a task or a thing which in our soul, we recognize as, as meaningful or, or in our heart. Um, and there's a force that immediately reside, uh, arises in response to that. Um, even if we can perfectly describe how we need to act and, or what we need to do in order to achieve that, that task, um, you'll still experience the, the resistance force, as, as I call it. Um, and what that force does is it immediately draws your mind away from the task at hand. Um, I'm, I'm just laughing now, because I, I'm laughing because as you're just saying that I am going through my morning <laughs> and the resistance yeah. force. I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's just there. The resistance, yep. you know, just watching it. Oh, I need to vacuum. Oh, I have to mm -hmm. make sure the dishes are done. Oh, that's so please go on but that that resistance force is pretty powerful yeah and and i mean i think what you described are sort of uh the look at all the other things i could be doing instead of this thing and that's one manifestation of it i think that uh one thing that arises with this especially when it's a really meaningful task is you start to ask yourself like questions essentially it's like well oh. uh you know who am i to say that I can do this thing or there's a million other people who are way more qualified to do this and like so let me just do this other thing here that I'm already good at 
Um, oh. so, I mean, you can imagine if you're sitting down to, a, if, if you want to write a book, for example, like that's a big, scary, uh, meaty task. And, you know, you might sit down at your computer or at your, uh, I don't know if anybody uses typewriters anymore, but you sit down at your uh, device and it's like immediately in your mind, you start to have these things pop into your head. It's like, who are you to write this book about insert subject X? It's like, there's this doctor over there who's maybe written 10 books about it. It's like, you know, the, the fact that somebody else has written, like whatever the, the excuse is, that's somewhat irrelevant. The point is, is that it's a, it's a mental process whereby you start to doubt yourself. Um, so, and, and as you say, that can also manifest as uh, any kind of distraction or any other tasks that you might have that feel in the moment, like they're more, more, uh, more urgent. Um, so anyhow, that's, that's kind of how I, I, I found that that was really helpful. I think one thing that uh, Dr. Pressfield, or sorry, Stephen Pressfield says, um, is that it's useful to uh, externalize that as opposed to identify with it. So if you experience that force, then it's easy to say to yourself, once you're, once, you know, an hour passes and you haven't gotten anything done, like, well, I'm, I'm just a procrat or, um, I'm just easily distracted and, you know, maybe this thing isn't for me. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. I think the problem is, is that this resistance force sort of overcame your, uh, your emotions a little bit, or, or it, it overtook your, your productive process. And, you know, it's better to externalize that and say, okay, I got to deal with this force or I won't be able to get my stuff done. Um, as opposed to saying, well, I'm, I'm just, you know, so, um, that, that kind of concept of externalizing it is, is helpful. Um, so I, anyhow, I think that kind of covers a lot of what I want to talk about there, but, uh, one thing I do want to add is, um, you know, I, I've used the, this somewhat metaphorically, this resistance force, uh, metaphor, but it's not, it's also scientific. Um, so kind of separately, uh, in, in listening to Dr. Uh, Andrew Huberman, as I say, he's a neuroscientist. He talks about a similar process here if you want to get stuff done. And he'll he'll refer to the generation of norepinephrine. So when you sit down to try to get something done, your brain creates norepinephrine, which is essentially a, it's like a form of, promotes a form of anxiety. It's like you get a little bit restless or you get a little bit like, I don't want to be sitting here doing this thing. Or as I say, you know, or as you say, here are a bunch of other tasks that I should be doing. So um, it's not just a metaphor or, you know, kind of postulating. It's, it's also that uh, there is a neurochemical basis for that, that metaphor existing. It's just, it's, it's nice to have a metaphor to describe it to. So um, anyhow, so that's the resistance force. Uh, I like to think about it that way. You can think about it however you like. Um, but the point is, is like, that's going to happen as soon as you set out to do something productive. Um, again, I won't go through the examples of what that might be, but um, just be ready for it. I think uh, um, in terms of how to, uh, uh, now that you know that, that that's something that's going to happen, uh, the question is how do you deal with it? Uh, and that's going to vary by person. And I think you have to like play around with what works for you. But in general, it's something that you can train yourself to respond to. Um, I've heard David Goggins, who's kind of a ultra athlete endurance extreme guy, 
uh, he's been talked about in this context a lot. And what observers have noted about him is that if he's setting out to do something that's new, he recognizes that force and trains himself to say, I'm going to go forward towards the outcome and the goal. It's like, so the point is, is that if you, if you experience that force, then that's your time to say, okay, I need to use my willpower to keep me centered here on my task and to keep me pushing forward. And if you can get through that initial, like anxiety, essentially, then, and get into your task, then you've kind of accomplished the first goal. And, you know, to me, that's out of the three steps, that's your check-in. If you can check in through that resistance force, then you're in and you have, you know, the opportunity to get some work done uh, in a deep work session. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about for the check-in. Uh, any, did you want to add anything to that, Ruth? No, I, I'm, 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 I'm just listening and learning and seeing where we're going to go next. And then maybe once, but I don't have any questions or anything so far. Sure. Okay. Partly I was just asking so I could take a drink of water. <laughs> well, um, I, def- okay. I, def- so, I definitely could chat, but I'm not going to. No, that's okay. Um, okay. So, uh, all right. So you've got past the check-in. Um, that is half the battle in my experience. I'm, I'm somebody who's very easily distracted in that moment. And I can't uh, believe, I can't even like believe it, it can that. Be quite, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you haven't seen me try to get work done. Um, <laughs> So uh, anyhow, once, once you're in, uh, the point at that stage is to stay in um, and, and maintain your uh, deep work state. Now, that maybe sounds like an oversimplified, uh, uh, that's kind of a banal way of saying it, but um, I think different people are going to have different ways of maintaining deep work. But the common element is, is you really got to focus on your environment. Um, again, the point is, is that distractions can easily take you out. Um, and, uh, if, if you create for yourself the right environment, that's not going to distract you, then you can sustain deep work for, uh, a good hour and a half to two hours past, past check-in or sometimes longer. Um, I think we do have some other modules specifically on tailoring your environment. So I think this would be a good time to, uh, jump back to those if you're if you're kind of looking to go deep but um for me if like what does that mean practically speaking well eat something like make sure you're nourished when you go into your your deep work state so that you don't get tempted by food uh make sure that you've drank a little bit maybe not too much so you don't have to get up and go to the bathroom like three times um like turn off all your notifications uh get your phone out of sight if you can uh, and the phone even if it's just sitting next to me can be a source of distraction it can take me out uh, of deep work um yeah like all that sort of stuff don't put on a load of laundry five minutes before you that's set to go off 10 minutes after you start so you have to get up um you know you can probably imagine uh or or um think of examples with authors for example like you always hear authors uh, we'll have a writing room or something where it's it's dark, it's got their computer and it's got nothing else. Like it, it's not a very capable computer if it's typewriter. Um, it's It's got a lock on it so nobody can come in and knock on the door and distract them or no phones. Like that's, that's the sort of thing that I think people should picture, especially if you're doing like an information uh, 
technology type task on your laptop. Um, obviously, if it's if it's something mechanical or physical, it'd be a, a different story. You know, you're going to set up a different environment for that. Um, but uh, anyhow, the point is, put some barriers between uh, what those potential distractions might be uh, and the task itself. Um, and as long as you do that and like don't uh, get to uh, uh, overly self-aware of, you know, oh my gosh, I'm actually getting some work done. Like try to forget <laughs> about those like thoughts, right? It's like, just do the work. Then, you know, I think you'll, you'll find that uh, like, don't overthink the process. Like you'll find that you'll actually get some things done, or at least that's what I've found in my experience. Um, so the only other point in terms of maintaining deep work is just kind of about how long can you do it for? Um, so Andrew Huberman talks about this concept of ultradian rhythms and uh, it's kind of a similar to a circadian rhythm, circadian rhythm being sort of a 24 hour cycle and uh, what happens within that. Uh, ultradian rhythm is, is sort of a neurochemical or neuroscience concept. Um, it's, it's more or less like an, 90 minute to 120 minute period in which uh, it's normal to maintain a, a particular brain state. So, uh, and I guess the observation in, in the neuroscience world is that uh, it's easy enough to sustain a particular state for one ultradian rhythm. And then, but at the end of that, it gets particularly difficult. So if you check into a deep work state, um, you can probably expect yourself to be able to sustain it without, uh, you know, normally for 90 to 120 minutes, um, at which time you're going to probably start to be particularly distracted by all those things that you were able to get through in the check-in, you know, you'll just start to they'll really get on your mind and, uh, you'll, you'll find that you have to attend to them. And it's, it's not so much like an urgency thing. It's just a, a neurochemistry thing. Like you just, you can't, you can't focus for more long, uh, longer than that. Um, I find that, well, in my past, uh, I was saying I was a very deadline driven person. Um, I find that deadlines can push you to sustain deep work for longer than that. But uh, my only point there is that you have to be really careful about that because uh if you like if you're trying to push out something urgently over an eight hour period and you're just working and working for that whole time you'll be able to get the work done maybe and you might be able to do that once or twice but uh that accumulates a bit of a cost in terms of burnout that you have to then deal with and that can be quite uh, uh physiologically costly in in my experience it, it has been so um Anyhow, so the point is, expect to be able to sustain it for 90 to 120 minutes, and then uh, probably you'll be done at about that time, unless you're really trying to get something urgently done, or if it's maybe there's not that much left to get get through. So that's, that's the check-in, and then that's sustaining uh, the deep work state. Um, I'll quickly touch on checking out, because it's, it's kind of the fastest one, probably. Uh, once you're done... Uh, with that uh, that task or that process, um, you know, there's not usually much said about checking out. It's just, well, it's over. Um, but I think it's it's useful to tie that to, uh, you know, some of the tiny habits uh, 
theory, I suppose, in terms of how you uh, sustain those like good habits and things like that. So uh, I think they talk, obviously a lot of people talk about dopamine being the chemical of pursuit. Um, I think it's important once you're done your deep work cycle to take a moment, uh, check in with what your objectives were going into your, your deep work state. Um, congratulate yourself essentially for having done a good job on whatever it is you set out to do and uh, give yourself that little, little or large dopamine hit uh, in response to that effort. And uh, that will help you both in the moment and it'll also help you when you come back the next day. And, you know, the key is to, to start to fall in love with that process essentially of getting things done towards a product, a useful, meaningful goal. And especially when you're talking about doing uh, a, a large meaningful task, something that's going to take several deep work states over maybe months or weeks or months, let's say uh, you want to give yourself that reward uh, on a regular basis so that you start to uh, love the process essentially. Um, and that's all I really wanted to say about checking out. Uh, and that's, have, that's the process. I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. We'll have a couple questions. The first one is, so personally, what are your, what are your checkouts? Like, what are your, how do you celebrate small and big? And how do you fall in love with the process? Do you go like, oh, awesome. yeah, I mean, that's, that's maybe uh, <laughs> if I'm really, really happy with what I've done. Um, I don't know. I tend to be a, maybe a bit more subtle with, uh, with things sometimes that I'm a subtle celebrator, but uh, you know, it might be just a little, little fist pump or uh you know i'll like tap the desk beside me and just like "Ah, great job you know excellent work um uh, but sometimes if i'm a little bit more demonstrative demonstrative uh i'll get up and do a little jump so yeah yeah, (laughs) it varies i think the point with celebration is not to overthink it (laughs) it's like just just be happy and do what your body tells you to do yes i love that i just wanted to i just wanted to be involved in your celebration process because we're so far (laughs) away from each other ryan and i have never met either um Mm -hmm. the next the next question in person the next question i have is how does this all this deep work talk relate to our overall health and being a foot nerd would you say yeah um well i think uh that that's you know you could kind of explore a lot of stuff that the main thing is is that as a foot nerd um we're we're trying to make the best use of our time for one thing everybody has different things that they want to pursue in their life and uh i'd say that maybe one of the core tenets that i think about as a foot nerd is that means being intentional and aware of how i'm spending my time and uh, making sure that that's being dedicated and directed to the best the best things uh, that I know in my soul I should be doing. So, uh, and the Footner program is is one example of that. It's like you're trying to make the best use of a limited amount of time in the day to learn some things about the human body, learn some things about movement and uh, how to conduct yourself. So if you're going to be doing any of that stuff, it's like, well, you know, I want to be focused and I want to be intentional and I want to be learning. And uh, if I'm trying to create something, I want to create something good. And uh, you have to mind uh, how distractive this world can be uh, when you're trying to do any of those things. And so, um, you know, fundamentally, I think it's useful to have a process uh, to engage with and in terms of getting things done, 
in terms of being productive. Um, and so that's what I think deep work, uh, that's what I think deep work is so useful towards uh, anybody in, in the foot nerd program. It's like, it's, it's a tool in the toolkit and, and I yeah. think it is very broadly applicable. Yeah. Well said. Um, Ryan, how about some experiments? I know you had some specific experiments that we can try. Um, so can we dig into that a little bit? Uh, yeah, so I'll give a couple of them. I think it's probably nothing uh, too surprising. I think the first one would be uh, plan out some deep work sessions, basically. Like, uh, if pick pick a day uh, at some point in the future. Um, expect, maybe say, I'm going to get two deep work sessions or two Altradian rhythms worth of deep work sessions in on that particular day. And in order to do that, I'm going to set up my environment thusly. I'm going to do this and that with my phone. I'm going to do this and that in terms of, you know, having having lunch first, having breakfast first, and then getting into it. Um, so have a plan for executing on a couple of deep work sessions in a day, and then do your best to execute them. And then once you're done, uh, write down and reflect on the experiment and refine that and go forward. So I think that would be one experiment. Um, that's a deep work experiment. I think maybe we'll, we may or may not talk a bit more about some of the other, you know, some solitude and, and uh, uh, social media type stuff. But um, I think another experiment would be just because social media can be so pervasive with uh, how it affects your ability to stay undistracted. Um, spend, spend like a day or more if you can uh, with a intervention on your social media use. So uh, what that could be is uh, maybe put your phone on your, your like bedside desk or something, and then leave it there for 24 hours or uh, intentionally turn off notifications or something like that, or uh, make it so that you're, you're, you're not going to get dinged for every little thing that uh, involves you. Like uh, you don't need to get notified, let's say for a day uh, if you get, tagged in an Instagram post you can park, park that for a day so basically do some experiments around uh how you engage with social media try to pull back a little bit and I think that that's going to have uh, a lot of impact on how you uh are able to achieve deep work um and then the last one is more uh, uh, kind of on solitude and solitude is maybe tangentially related to deep work, but I think, uh, it's useful. Uh, so I, I would challenge anybody to spend, uh, some time intentionally, uh, with their own thoughts, uh, on their own, um, voluntarily, I guess. Um, so that might mean, uh, like go for a camping trip that that's maybe a little bit more extreme, or it might just mean, um, uh, finding a day where you don't have too much on the agenda and, uh, uh, just not scheduling anything with, with people and, you know, sit down and be with your thoughts and in your own house, it could mean going for a two hour walk and not bringing your phone. Um, these are kind of all experiment ideas that might work for different people. The point is, is that I think um, for me, when I immerse myself in a bit of solitude, uh, it can help me identify, uh, you know, your mind starts to work in certain ways to identify what uh, you might want to achieve and it starts to call out to you with those meaningful tasks that, that 
you want to get done in life and uh, you can direct deep work sessions towards those uh, after you've experienced a bit of solitude. So I think solitude is important and uh, towards the deep work process or at least tangentially so. So I would design an experiment uh, around trying to get some more of that. So just to add on to, uh, to a little bit of what you're saying is with um, social media, which is probably, we'll probably get into that maybe in a layer two conversation, a little more in depth, but just, um, you know, like you were talking about expecting resistance when we get into the deep work sessions, right? But because we are, we have so many digital tools at our fingertip and we are, our circuits get, we get short circuited in the same way that like uh, junk food short circuits are hunger drive. I liked, um, I was listening to Lex Fridman, I think, and Cal Newport talk about boredom, um, Mm -hmm. which which I was relating to solitude because uh, Cal Newport was talking about how scheduling blocks of boredom is very beneficial and how boredom, he equated boredom um, as like a human drive in the same way that hunger and thirst is, like a signal, like, so hunger uh, drives us to eat and thirst drives us to drink. And that boredom is actually the precursor to the drive for action towards productivity or creativity, which I was thinking, oh, that's, um, that's what solitude is. But because of our social media and our digital apps and all of the, the digital well, all of our distractions in life, not just technology, but all of the modern distractions that we have at our fingertips, um, leave it so that we, our brains don't tolerate boredom at all. So he mm-hmm. was talking about how if you don't actually practice boredom at, and solitude almost as a skill, and then that naturally over time as you practice that, um, the satisfaction comes but it's very different that your brain will not tolerate the deep work sessions until you can actually have blocks of boredom that are, you know, lead to solitude, essentially. Does that make sense? And I thought that was really powerful. Um, That was like a powerful thread for me to take boredom to solitude from like digital minimalism, you know, the whole, this whole idea about digital minimalism being like, do we have an understanding of our relationship to the addictive distractions in our lives and what they actually, and how they hijack our original circuits, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's funny as you're talking there, I was kind of drawing a connection to fasting um, as far as uh, hunger is concerned. So if, if you're, going through a three-day fast, let's say, then you start to get experience with um, feeling hungry, but then acknowledging that feeling and then parking it and saying, okay, that's great, but I'm, I'm in this process where I'm not going to uh, succumb to that. Uh, that, that interaction is boredom is solitude are to some extent uh analogous to that with respect to distractions instead of this inbuilt thing which is distracting me uh if you're now if you're experienced with boredom and experienced with maintaining solitude then you'll say okay that's great but now is not the time 
uh, now's the time for parking that and I'll come back to that at a later point. So I think the point there is, you know, just as you practice, as one might practice fasting in order to get a better control of one's uh, feelings of hunger and, and sort of nutritional diet habits, you can practice solitude, practice uh, being with boredom in order to get a, a better handle on how you respond to distraction. Mm-hmm. Well, so one of the things that I wanted to, I mean, if did you have other stuff for us, Ryan? Uh, no, not. I think we, we kind of talked a little bit about uh, some of the other pieces that I was going to touch on. I guess um, we, we've talked a little bit about social media here and there. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to uh, remember that social media is, at the end of the day, it's a tool. Uh, I don't think we want to necessarily demonize that as as a bad thing uh, unequivocally. Um, it can be used for, on one hand, uh, scrolling through Instagram for four hours is maybe not uh, an activity that I would necessarily encourage, um, although we're perfectly, uh, you know, anybody can do it. Um, and I think I've probably done so maybe once or twice. Um, but uh, but social media can also be used. You can craft a, a thoughtful post about a subject that's meaningful to you. And that's something that can take a good deal of time in order to prepare and, and deliver in, in a useful way. So um, it's a tool. Uh, you can use whatever process, deep work or, or flow state to uh, achieve meaningful outputs using that tool. Uh, but it can also distract you from doing things that uh, might otherwise be good uses of your time. And um, so you just have to maintain that awareness and perspective with respect to that. But uh, like I say, it's not to say that social media is universally bad. It's just to keep your perspective. Uh, And then, yeah, other than that, I think we kind of covered everything else uh, that I had on my list to to talk through. So yeah, I suppose that's it. Yeah. That, I mean, this, this is, this is like a pretty beefy topic. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, there's, there's so much to unpack in, in other conversations, but I think this is something that gives, gives um, nerds an opportunity to just explore and think about. And, and with the experiments that you have offered the reflection, and I would say that also maybe in your log, in your proof of work log to really write down um, the way that your body feels, you know, like you mentioned about how you could thoughtfully create a post about something that's meaningful to you, whether it's, you know, a book, a piece of art or, or creative, uh, a writing. I mean, I've done that before and it feels so much different in my actual body than the, than the feeling of kind of numbly scrolling. I mean, and I find myself just doing that like a little rat, like where I'll just start to, my finger will go and it actually feels good. Like there's like this little thing where you touch on the screen and it's like zoom, zoom. And I kind of get into this like trance where I'm like, I don't, it, I, I have to break myself out of it. And those two feelings are so completely different in my body. You know, mm-hmm. one is that little dopamine squirt that you talked about, which is a sign, which is a little, in um, innate kind of neurochemical response to show me that I'm on the right track to the treasure. Um, and then the other is just like this addict, it feels like addiction. And I know what both of those feelings feel like, you know, and so I think, and everybody does if we tune in. So I think it's really important to, mm-hmm. to acknowledge that, you know, hunger is like 
a, 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 if you're hungry, like for food, it's a mouth sensation. It's not like a brain sensation, you know, it's like, and thirst. And, you know, that is a, a mouth. You, there's a very distinct, but very nuanced feeling. And the same goes for like human company or, you know, like you, you, you have, we have to become self-aware. It's like one of the keys. Um, but I wanted to just, so I wanted to just add that to the experiment. Like when you're reflecting, don't shy away from like acknowledging the bad feelings, you know, as well as the good feelings. Um, um, and, and can you tell the difference or does, you know, that's probably takes a little bit of practice if you're not practiced at it. But I wanted to conclude our session today, our um, lesson with this such, this was such a great quote that I copied down from that conversation between Cal Newport and Lex Fridman. Um, mm because they were having a conversation about solitude and boredom and deep work. And he said, so Lex Fridman is a guy who's like involved with the um, artificial intelligence and like the driverless cars and stuff. Like he, I find him very fascinating. And he said, um, it is a struggle and it's difficult. He's talking about getting into the deep work sessions, but he says on the days when I'm able to accomplish several hours of that kind of work, I'm happy. I'm just satisfied with my life. So forget about being productive, he says. It, I feel fulfilled and it feels, and it's joyful. And then he goes on to say, um, foul language warning. I'm less of a dick to the people in my life. It's a beautiful thing. You know, afterwards, he says, I'm, I'm less of a, mm. a jerk. And I just Brilliant. love that. I love that quote because it reminds me that like we, for me, being a foot nerd is not, like about health in the rigid sense. It's really about the quality of life and like how, like the feeling of satisfaction, like the moods of happiness where you get the, you know, you're on the right track, you get a little dopamine rush and then you're like, yeah, awesome. Or the tap, which I'm going to use now. I'm going to go with like, a, I'm going to try to become a subtle celebrator, but I think it's impossible. Um, <laughs> but I just, I just think that it's, you know, we have, we, it's necessary to, to like be to monitor, you know, our lives more than we probably have before all of these like really awesome, like you were saying, it's it's important to not to demonize these amazing tools that we have, but to use them in a thoughtful, conscientious way so that yeah. our, we benefit from them, that we're not like addicted and numb. And then like we're in a gutter somewhere, like calling out for help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so um, with that being said, if you don't have anything else, I'm going to I'm going to say the outro and we will call it a lesson. What do you say, Ryan? Yeah, I, I want to, I don't, uh, I don't want to add too much more, but one thing just kind of came to mind as you were talking yeah. about that and, um, and I'll add that, then we can wrap it up. Uh, I think that if, if, if the, you know, listener hasn't read um, uh, something, there's a book called, uh, I think it's uh, Art and Art of Motorcycle Maintenance or something like that. Um, it's a really good book. It, it kind of gets into, again, I, I think I've maybe tended to talk more about uh, information type tasks here, and that's great. But one thing that if you're struggling with deep work, I find can really help is to just do something a little bit more mechanically engaging, because it is, in my experience, way easier to check in and uh, get into that productive flow state if you're just using your hands a little bit and and being a bit more mechanical. And I think that kind of abstraction to the Zen like process of that is, is talked about in a lot of detail in that book. 
Um, and maybe we can add a, a link to that oh, yeah, uh, that... afterwards. But um, yeah. it's a really good reference for for uh, the mindset to achieve in in terms of how you go about those types of tasks. But yeah, anyhow, oh, that, just that a is brief called... aside. Yeah, that's called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And that's also it. there's a, yeah. there's another book called The Art of Practicing. And mm. I was just, you know, and now let's see, now you brought up another really great point about like um, another aspect I was listening to with Cal Newport and, and on a podcast was like the idea of the before the deep work session, because mm-hmm. you could like he talks about going on a long walk or like I know that I'll get on the balance beam or my spouse Matthew is learning to play the piano and he taught me how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. So I have I've played every kind of version of Mary Had a Little Lamb. I'm like Jazzy Mary. I'm like melancholy Mary Had a Little Lamb. And then once yeah. I do once I do like get on the beam, I roll out my feet, I'll do some handstands against the wall, a little, you know, kick and a punch and a jab or something and then yeah. play Mary Had a Little Lamb and then I'm able to like it's like a little, we're really, we really are just children in giant bodies, you know, that's yeah. the truth. Yeah. Um, so I think it, I think it would do us well to kind of remember that and treat us with that, treat ourselves with that kind of like playfulness and kindness and snuggle ourselves too. <laughs> um, yes. I okay. Agree. I agree. So, okay. All right. So nerds, we hope you found this lesson helpful. Um, remember that listening to this is proof of work and that we thank you for being here. We value you being on this digital device and listening to this lesson. So we don't take that lightly and we hope you do check out the experiments, uh, log them in your, uh, your health log, talk with your learning partners and your pod mates and chickadee chow for now, nerds. See you later. <laughs>